little bit Holy Spirit drunk this morning. So, um, Adam, I just love, I mean, do you know what I was speaking about? I can't find him. I swear he knew. Maybe he didn't. I didn't tell anyone. Um, because, if you, you know the whole laughing thing. I'm, I'm, I want to speak about joy this morning, about happiness. Yeah. And um, I just, yes, I love that. Laughing at the enemy. Laughing at his lies. Because they seem so real, but as soon as you take a step back and you look at these lies next to Holy Spirit, it's laughable. You, in Christ Jesus, it's laughable the lies he tries to throw at us, right? But it's so easy to get sucked into these lies and believe them about ourselves, you know? So that was really good. Um, so I want to talk about a little bit about the search for happiness. The world talks about this, like, all the time, right? Um, I got a book that John actually bought me for Christmas. It's called The Little Book of Luca, which is a Danish word for happiness. And I love the book, actually. It was amazing. Um, there's actually a place in Denmark where they started an institution, a research that researches happiness. They literally research happiness. I'm like, I want that job. That's an awesome job. <laughs> and um, he wrote this book with like what he's found and what generally makes people happy, um, what makes them, you know, kind of what, what the commonalities are. And it's a great book. And there's definitely things we can do in our lives to improve kind of a general feeling of happiness. But after reading this book, you know, it just became so clear that the world is searching to be happy. And should not we, the church, be the ones full of joy? Because we have found a true thing that matters. We have found a thing that no matter if we have nothing or much, that we are still at peace, we are still at joy. Right? And yet, depression, anxiety, sadness is still very big in the church. And I would say that to the general anyone, me myself really struggle with anxiety and sadness. And it just started to make me think, why? Why do we struggle with this? Like, why we who have literally found the true joy in life, why are we struggling with depression? Why are we struggling with sadness? I, it almost makes it worse, right? When you're feeling sadness or anxiety, and you think, like, I shouldn't be feeling this way. It's like this whole other shame that we put on ourselves. I shouldn't feel sad. I shouldn't be depressed because I'm a child of God. I have every reason to be full of joy because no matter where I am, I have a Father who loves me. Right? We have the keys to joy. And the thing is, I don't want to talk about surface happiness. Right? Because, like... I'm not talking about happy, happy, joy, joy. You wake up and you're kicking your shoes and you're, I don't know, you're like, I don't need coffee today. No, I'm not talking about that. Um, but I want to talk about that deep-seated joy where there's contentment and there's peace, that no matter what's going on, I am loved and I have this inner joy that can't be broken. Okay? So, everyone knows the famous verse in Nehemiah 8.10. Anyone know what that verse is? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay? Nehemiah 8.10. So, coming up with a sermon, I'm like, obviously I'm going to use that verse. Um, but, like, what does it mean? Right? Like, I don't know. Haven't you read this and thought, what does that really mean? The joy of the Lord is my strength. First of all, I need to feel joy for, to have strength. 
and to eat the fat. Eat the fat, eat the lambs, eat, you know, just like, don't cry, rejoice, he says. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so, like, after all that, coming to this verse, the joy of the Lord is your strength, after all this stuff has happened, I was thinking, the joy of the Lord, it's in his law. I know that sounds weird. But what I mean by that is it's in his ways. The joy of the Lord is in the Lord's ways. Who we are. Sons and daughters of God. When you forget who you are, you forget your way, you lose that joy. Because the joy is actually in his ways and in his law. That sounds weird. Um, especially for like a charismatic church like the law. Um, but I mean in his ways, you know what I mean? In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so when I think about, like, the law of God versus the patterns of this world, I think about the patterns of God versus the patterns of this world. And where we're supposed to be, right, is in a place where we are following the patterns of heaven. Or we're following after the kingdom of heaven, right? That's where his joy is found. It's in his kingdom, not the world's kingdom. The kingdom of this world, which tells you if you have this and you have that, then you'll be happy. Then you'll feel joy. But it's not true, is it? It's in the kingdom of heaven where we find that joy, where the joy of the Lord is our strength. So how do we actually do that, <laughs> right? How do, we, how do we live in the patterns of God and not of this world? How do we trans, how do we renew our mind, right? <laughs> things are not bad, right? It's not the things that are bad. It's not having nice things isn't bad. It's the patterns of the world, the mindsets that the world gives us that we need to be wary of. It's easy to get sucked into the patterns of this world because we're totally saturated, right? Like, totally saturated by it. It's in everything we are, like, it's in the media, everything that we, we put into our minds, we're just saturated by the world's, what the world thinks, what the world tells you to do, all that. So I want to ask you guys a few questions to see if this, like, resonates, okay, with you. Do you feel the constant need to be busy and fill up all your time with important things? Do you feel the pressure to be productive and successful? Do you feel like you never, um, like you are never enough for God? And not just in the world standards, but in religious standards, do you struggle with anxiety or sadness? Or do you find it hard to do anything? The opposite. You just find it hard to get out of your bed and just do life. Do you feel any of these things? There's such an illusion out there that to be happy you have to have you know X amount of money. And that's you know an easy one to fall into, right? And a certain amount of money definitely makes you happier. Definitely. You have a roof over your head, that's good. You can get groceries, that's good. You're feeling good about that, right? Um, But the world takes us so far, and I feel like for us, it might not even be these things like having a good car, you know, having having good clothes, having all this stuff. Like the world tells us, you need those things. But I feel like even for us here, for religious people or for Christians, sometimes we don't see it. But even like our ministry, 
that can be the idol in our life, that can be the thing that we are longing for, that we're feeling dissatisfied, we're not feeling joy, because we've taken on the world patterns, but just put God into it. So suddenly it becomes about having a really great ministry, or being a really great Christian, it becomes works, right? Instead of out of this joy and rest from God. Um, I'm gonna read something to you guys. Do you guys know Henry Nowen? This book's amazing, and you can read it like my husband said. He's like, you can read it in a couple, in like an hour. So just read it. <laughs> so yes, I did. Um, I will say, just for a <laughs> that when we get into this game, where we start comparing ourselves to others and we want to be successful and we want to do better. And I'm not just talking about in the world, I'm talking about like even in our ministry, in our lives. We put ourselves at odds with others. It becomes self-sufficiency, the opposite of what God wants. And it puts you in competition with those around you, the people that literally you're supposed to be sharing life with, not doing life against, right? And, um, and I think that's really important because God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom where we give to each other. Where when someone literally tries to, you know, be violent against us, we turn the other cheek. It's totally a crazy kingdom, and the world doesn't get it. You know, it's when someone steals from you, you're like, oh, take this too. I didn't know you were in need. You know, it's like, it's, it's amazing. So, uh, I'm just going to read this to you guys if you don't mind. I was, I was going to try and paraphrase it, but it's too good to paraphrase. And he already does such a good job of just shortening it, you know what I mean? So I was like, John, should I actually read these pages to them? He's like, people can sit and listen for a little bit. I'm like, okay. So this is his fault if you don't like it. <laughs> anyway, I want you to listen to this. this. I read this and I was like crying, okay? This is so good. And I just want to see if it resonates with you guys. And if it does, buy this book. It's called Out of Solitude. It is not so difficult to see that in our particular world, we all have a strong desire to accomplish something. Some of us think in terms of great dramatic changes in the structure of our society. Others want at least to build a house, write a book, invent a machine, or win a trophy. And some of us seem to be content when we just do something worthwhile for someone. But practically all of us think about ourselves in terms of our contribution to life. And when we become, when we have become old, much of our feelings of happiness or sadness depend on our evaluation of the part we played in giving shape to our world and its history. As Christians, we even feel a special call to do something good for someone, give advice, comfort, devil or two, maybe even preach the good news from place to place. But although the desire to be useful can be a sign of mental and spiritual health, in our goal-oriented society, it can also become the source of a paralyzing lack of self-esteem. More often than not, we not only desire to do meaningful things, but we often make the results of our work the criteria of our self-esteem. And then, we not only have successes, we become our successes. When you are in the habit of giving speeches in this country, you find that the older you get, the longer your introducer speaks, since they feel obligated to lift all your accomplishments 
compliments from your college days to the present. I don't have a lot of those. Um, when we start being too impressed by the results of our work, we slowly, be, we slowly come to the erroneous conviction that life is one large scoreboard where someone is listing the points to measure our worth. And before we are fully aware of it, we have sold our soul to the many great givers. That means we are not only in the world, but also of the world. Then we become what the world makes us. We are intelligent because someone gives us a high grade. We are helpful because someone says thanks. We are likable because someone likes us. And we are important because someone considers us indispensable. In short, we are worthwhile because we have success. And the more we allow our accomplishments, the results of our actions, to become the criteria of our self-esteem, the more we are going to walk on our mental and spiritual toes, never sure if we will be able to live up to the expectations we have created by our last successes. In many people's lives, there is a nearly diabolical chain in which their anxieties grow according to their successes. The dark power has driven many of the greatest artists into self-destruction. In this success-oriented world, our lives become more and more dominated by superlatives. Superlatives? That. <laughs> superlatives. We brag about the highest tower, the fastest runner, the tallest man, the longest bridge, and best student. In Holland, we brag in reverse, the smallest town, the nearest you know, street, the tiniest house, the most uncomfortable shoes. But underneath all our emphasis on success action, many of us suffer from a deep-seated low self-esteem and are walking around with the constant fear that someone someday will unmask the illusion and show that we are not as smart, as good, or as lovable as the world was made to believe. Once in a while, someone will confess in an intimate moment. Everyone thinks I'm very quiet and composed, but if they only knew how I really feel. This nagging self-doubt is at the basis of so much depression in our lives, of many people who are struggling in our competitive society. And the corroding fear for this discovery of our weakness prevents community and creative sharing. When we have sold our identity to the judges of the world, we are bound to become restless because of a growing need for affirmation and praise. Indeed, we are tempted to become low-hearted because of the constant self-rejection, and we are in serious danger of becoming isolated, since friendship and love are impossible without a mutual vulnerability. And so, when our actions have become more an expression of fear than of inner freedom, we easily become the prisoners of our self-created illusions. Okay. Sorry, I know that was a lot, but that like spoke to me so much. Because I know I am loved by God. I know I am a daughter of God. But I have struggled so much with not feeling like I'm enough. Like this pressure to be successful, to do something great, to um <coughs> to be a great Christian, to be an awesome mom and wife, and all these things. I didn't realize that I had sold my soul to the great givers, to the world that says, in order to be great, in order to be good, you need to be A, B, C. You need to have this, you need to do that. And it's like, I, it opened my eyes to where I had been so against myself, hard on myself, you know? Why I had so much anxiety. I have some good news for you. 
and some bad news. The bad news is, you can't do it. You can. I tried, and I know I'm pretty good, but I couldn't do it. But the good news is, you can't do it. <laughs> That's the good news. Literally the good news is, you can't do it. That is the conclusion that I came to. I can't do it. <laughs> I have failed at everything, literally everything. I have failed at being a perfect mom, perfect wife, perfect worship leader, perfect Christian. I have failed at being even just great at it. Okay, I failed. And I realized that a small part of me thought I could do it. There was this part of me for so long that thought, I'm, I, I, you know, I think, like, in my own strength, like, I didn't, it wasn't my brain was going through this process. It's a part of your heart, right? It's like back in there somewhere. Where I thought, like, if I try hard enough, I can really be amazing at all these things. I can do it. I believed the lie that I could do it. Right? And last year, I really went through the fire. You know, Maggie spoke last week an amazing message, and she was talking about going through the fire. I really went through the fire last year. Like, it was really hard, like hitting rock bottom. And I feel like, I don't believe like God put you through these things on purpose, but I feel like he used them to test you and to bring you, to make you brighter, to make you new, right? And I feel like I needed to go through that time because it was at that time that I hit rock bottom and I realized I can't do it. I literally can't do it. I was so broken. I was like, God, I want to do it so bad. I want to be good. I want to do things for you. I want to be, I want to love my kids like you love them. And I can't. I want to make everything work. I want to make my marriage work perfectly. But I can't. And God's like, I know you can't. And I never expected you to. And it was that moment going through the fire that taught me I can't do it. And I, I need Jesus so much. Like I need him every single day. And I let go of the idea that I could do it. Like that part of my heart was weeded out during that fire. That part of my heart that thought I could do it, that really needed to go. Because only when we let go of control and the idea that we can do it, that we can cling to Jesus and let him do it. Let him change our lives. Let him bring the peace and the joy it's only when we give up. It's an upside down kingdom. It's only when we lose, when we fail, when we take up our cross, when we die. That's when we get life. I died last year. I'm not kidding you. I died. A part of me died last year. And thank God it did. Like if I was on the other side of that, I wouldn't be saying that. <laughs> but thank God he doesn't tell you what you're going to go through before you go through it. 
But I, like, when Maggie was talking, I was like, oh, shoot, I have prayed every scary prayer in the book. I was like, can I take those back? Or maybe, like, just one at a time. Let's, like, put that one on hold and we'll work on this one for a while. Like, I prayed them all, like, Lord, give me patience. Like, don't ever pray that. Like, that's such a stupid prayer. God, she's like, I'll teach you patience. No, it's not like that. But, you know what I mean? It's like, I had children. That's what happened. Um... I'm like, God, do whatever it takes so that I surrender to you. Whatever it takes. Do you know what it takes to be fully surrendered to God? It is the mercy of God that you go through some of the trials you go through. I know that sounds so weird, but if there's anything I've been learning the older I get and more I work with God, that it is his mercy. His mercy last year that I went through what I went through. I know that sounds crazy, but like it was his mercy that I hit rock bottom. And not knowing that God did it to me, but it was his mercy. And I feel like it's not that trials have to be hard. It's not like God is like, you need to go through this horrible thing. I feel like we're just really stubborn. We just really hang on. Like, I, I'm strong-willed, just like my beautiful children. And, um, and I, like I, when I believed I could do it, I really believed I could do it. You know, like, I'm a warrior, I'm a woman. Do whatever it takes, you know? Like, I was holding on. And it's like, God's like, I just, I could just tell you, like, you just believe me, you don't have to go through these things. It's you're putting yourself in this position, you know? You bring it. And, uh, and it's like, it could have been simple. But I needed to go through that to have that realization, that full realization, right? That I couldn't do it. You know, John 16, 31, 33 says, In this world you will have trouble. He didn't promise it would all be good. And, um, and I believe God wants to give you good things. It's just not always a BMW. Or in my, or in my case, a 70s Land Rover. White desert car. And he doesn't always want to give me. It's not necessarily that's what he's going to give me. When we were house hunting, there was this beautiful house downtown Toronto, right next to a park, and it was like they were building it. And it was like one of those like square houses with like windows everywhere. And me and John, every time we walk by, we're like, shh, cutting it out of ourselves. We claim this house in the name of Jesus. Like, driving along, like that house is ours. That's what God wants for us. He's a good God. Yes, he is. You know, we're like, we gotta figure, we gotta contact whoever's building this house, figure out who's selling it, be like, you need to give us this house for the Lord. For the Lord. And uh, <laughs> we didn't get that house. <laughs> Instead, God told us to move to Kitchener. <laughs> and, we, and, and he provided a miracle house. Yes. It's not a perfect house from the 70s. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a semi. And we're on a busy road. But it's a wonderful house. And we had no money for it, and God provided for it, okay? And so, yes, yes, God. And so, yeah, God does want to provide for us. We just can't assume that we know how, or we know what it's going to look like. And that is trust. That is surrender. That is, I can't do it. That is, I don't know what's best for me. Only you do, God. And that's a hard place to be in, right? 
trusting the Father. And that's why it's so important we know his character and that it's good. Because sometimes what's good looks really hard. But when you come out on the other side, you realize how merciful your Father is. How good he is. And that each of us are on such a unique and beautiful journey. You know? And God's not going to give you something before you need it. Or before he knows it's actually going to be good for you. You know? Because God cares about you. He really does. And he cares about your soul. Most of all. Right? I don't want to gain this whole world and lose my soul. I don't want to. And it's easy to look at this world, to get caught up in the patterns of this world that say, you need to do this, you need to do that. You know, you're not loving your kids if you don't have like all these different things for them. But I'm trusting my father with them, you know? Yeah, I think of Paul and Silas whenever I'm going through a trial. It just, can you imagine being beaten? <laughs> thrown into a jail, and they just start worshiping Jesus. You know? Be so easy to be like, what is going on, God? You should be protecting us and loving us. You're a good, good father. Why are we sitting here? But they just worshiped him because they had their eyes on the heavens. They had their eyes not in, this, in the world, but in the heaven. What's going on there, you know? I think that is so beautiful. And I, and I so God, and see, it's another scary prayer, right? I was praying a long time. I was like, God, help me be like that. I want to be in the midst of my trial worshiping you. I want to be in it. I don't care how bad it gets. I still want to say yes, and I still want to worship you. The, the world says, you're crazy to worship God. How is he good? Look at all the stuff going on in the world. Look at how horrible it is. God is good. I believe it. And we are his hands and his feet. And if we could just give up control and follow our Father, we could change some of the, some of the stuff with his help, with his guidance, right? His happiness is not in the having, it's in the knowing what he's already given you. It's allowing the struggles of, our, of this life to rest you into the loving arms of Jesus. Yeah? So what are we saturating ourselves in? It's easy to talk about this, right? How do we be in the world but not of the world? Right? How do we do that? It's a fair question. How do we be in this world but not of it? This has been a struggle in my life, learning this, walking this journey. How do I be in the world but not of the world? Right? I don't want to be consumed with being like relevant to everybody. But I, I, don't, I don't also want to be like this, you know, I don't know, for your person who's like sworn off the air from the enemy. We can battle things like sadness and depression together because we lift one another up when someone is weak, someone else is strong for them. You know? Because if there's one thing sadness and depression and anxiety wants you to do, is to not reach out. To not reach out. God wants us to do it together, right? He wants us to be in it together. 
And the last two things are thankfulness in remembering the Israelites. And Ezra reads off the law, right? They start weeping because they remember who they are. When we remember what God has done for us, it's amazing how it will lift you to a better place, right? You remember, God did this in my life, and this, and this. Don't forget what God has done in your life. Write it down. Remember what he's done. Never forget. Remember his goodness. So that in those places when it feels like you can't see him, you know he's there, and you know he's good. Amen. Thankfulness and remembering. And then finally, rejoicing. Rejoicing. Party it up. That's right, Ezra told them to party. They put up this wall, they're crying because they remembered who they are, and then he's like, stop crying, rejoice. Because we are God's people. And his joy is our strength. It is when we are full of joy that we can come against the enemy. Right? That's when we are strong. Like, the enemy can't stand joy, can't stand laughter. So I love when Adam and is like, laugh at the lies. Because you're like, that's ridiculous. Who is it that always does laughing at lies? Steve? Steve Backlund? He's so funny. They look him up, so couple. Steve Backlund, he's like always laughing. That's his whole thing, laughing at lies. And you can't help but laugh with him. Because, I mean, his laugh's really weird. But you can't help, <laughs> which I feel like is a blessing for his ministry. Hard over hustle, people. Hard over hustle. Let's slow down. Let's remember we can't do it. But he can. And let's rejoice because he has overcome the world. And we're his sons and daughters. And that's the kingdom we live in. Not this one. We're in it, but we're not of it. <laughs> right? Um, we're going to do communion because I thought, you know what, let's do communion at the end of this and remember who we are and the price that he paid for.